Corner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 16th. Um, real football is coming. It is, um, what, two and a half weeks away um, before Virginia opens its 2017 season against uh, the College of William & Mary. Um, but there's a lot to talk about tonight for, for what I think will be obvious reasons. We're not going to spend um, the entire uh, portion of the podcast uh, kind of discussing the weekend, but we we thought we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. It'd be kind of weird if we didn't. But we will talk about um, not just that, but also to kind of where things are um, in training camp and, and kind of where um, the team needs to be um, as they go forward. Uh, we'll do our big preseason podcast uh, prediction podcast that we always uh, put so much effort into making ourselves look bad. We'll do that uh, next week and and then get into um, you know our game week stuff um, shortly thereafter. Um, but before we get going, let's go around and introduce everybody. Up in uh, Fishersville, David Spence is also on the podcast. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks for asking. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington is also on the show. How are you, my friend? Good to be good to be back at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, if you are listening to this podcast and you are someone who listens to this podcast pretty religiously, side note, thank you for that. Um, you might be, you might have noticed that things sound a little different. Uh, we're doing a little bit. Of, um, we maybe maybe have taken a step up. This is a a trial balloon that we're both trying and uh, recording for real. Um, so don't adjust your uh, television sets just yet. Uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you can hear us pretty well, and uh, and it's coming through. Okay, I don't know. There's there's no there's no nice way to sort of segue from cheery introductions of podcasts to kind of what we saw go down in, in Charlottesville this past weekend. I think I want to start with um, um, with with sort of. I don't want to say expectations because that might give the wrong sort of um, implication, but I kind of want to start by talking about the fact that like, I, I, I thought this was going to be a big deal. I remember, um, you know, a while back when they had the, the first uh, protest or rally or whatever you want to call it, that they had said that there was this other one scheduled for later in the year. And I knew that this was coming. Um, I did not expect it to be, as volatile as it ended up being. And I think that in hindsight, maybe there were a lot of people like me um, who I don't want to say I, I necessarily um, underestimated the, the craziness. I just think I just figured, I just figured that, that it would not get out of hand the way it did. And I wonder if there aren't more people that thought that as well. And, uh, and looking back on it, if maybe in terms of preparation or whatever, and I'm not going to get into the, you know, the deep weeds of, you know, how it, how it happened and where it happened and all this stuff. I just want to look at the bigger picture, which is, um, you know, as a, as a program, uh, Virginia sports is, um, you know, it's, it's important, I think for, for people to, um, it's important for people to have, um, to have an understanding of sort of what happened, but also to, to, to understand that, that, that you're not unsafe to go to football games. You're not unsafe to go to JPJ. Um, and I think that for a lot of people, that was a big concern uh, coming out of the weekend. I'm curious, um, you, you, Dave, especially because you are somebody who is obviously um, 
you know, closer to this uh, deal you were, because of where you are and, uh, and everything. I, I'm curious to get, to get your thoughts uh, as well. Um, what, Dave, what, what, what was it like uh, for you um, being closer? Um, did, you, did you have a feel that this was going to be a thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember a couple. I can't remember if I texted you guys about it or not, but a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, after the initial KKK rally, I had some local, uh, you know, I have some customers who are policemen for Albemarle and Charlottesville, who had come in looking for extra protection to wear underneath their uniforms and their state-supplied gear, um, and we got to talking about it and. They said, based on the way that the counter protesters turned out for the this much smaller KKK rally, that the alt right and everyone else were going to come out hard for this one because, look, face it's all about it's all about getting your message on you know on social media on the airwaves, um, and you do that by conflict. So I wasn't surprised how big it was um, on Saturday. What threw me off, and I think what made Saturday so rough, was what we saw Friday night. Um, it's a, uh, you know, Friday night. No one kind, of, no one expected it. I mean, I knew Saturday was going to be a big day and was looking for it. Um, but the, just the visual of Friday night with, look, Friday night. I don't want to get too much into the politics of it or anything else. Um, right. I guess you kind of have to Friday night was, you know, the visual of a bunch of white men marching down the lawn with torches. Like it's clear that they wanted to intimidate and they knew that doing that, no one knew that was coming. I mean, there wasn't a hint of that coming. It just showed up. I mean, I'm hanging out Friday night and boom, there it is. Um, that image, like, you had all night for people to get geared up for the rally the next day and it assured that Saturday was going to be, to be ugly. Um, so I mean, I expected it to be a big deal. I did not expect it to be, you know, as visually and, you know, ethically appalling as it was. Right. Um, it was a tough day, especially, you know, you get to thinking about that happening somewhere else and it would upset you. But the fact that you see it happening on places, you know, you've visited with people that, You've probably, you know, not the protesters, but in the presence of, of people in a town that you have often spent time in, it makes it much more real. Um, and I think, you know, Charlottesville was chosen for many reasons, but it is one of the few college towns in the South where they were guaranteed to get a big, big response. Um, so, I mean, it was a, it was a tough day, uh, an ugly day, probably one we won't stop thinking about for many years. Um, but hopefully one that, you know, will change the dialogue in this country from more of, you know, I'm right, you're wrong to what can we do to fix it? Um, I'm not holding that much hope for that, but <laughs> let's hope that something good comes out of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, look, I, I also don't want to get into the politics of it. I, I will say that I was really appreciative of the folks who were, um, were in the off-topic thread. That's not necessarily something that... <laughs> Anybody who's been a member of the site or has has been on the site often knows I'm not a big uh, off-topic thread kind of guy. I like to keep the conversation specifically to sports. I, I think that's the best way to to have one of these sites without it um, devolving into um, madness. Because it, look, 
it's an escape for a lot of people, right? And and I understand too that there are probably people who listen to this podcast regularly who just want to hear about Virginia sports, and and I get that. It's it's an escape for you too, and 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 I promise you this is not going to be a lengthy, um, off-topic discussion. But I do want to make a make a point to just say to folks, um, who who came into that off-topic thread and handled themselves well and 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 had a conversation. I really do appreciate that because this was something that I wanted to. Um, to let kind of breathe for for a day or so, and um, I, I think that Dave's point about the the imagery um, is striking. I think what you've seen in the response has also been um, you know significant, um, not just in terms of you know the greater country at large or the world, because it was you know the the biggest you know story in the world um, for a couple of days. Um, and in some ways still is considering all of the sort of ramifications and, and whatnot. Um, but it, I think in terms of the university, um, you know, there's, uh, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be, um, some type of backlash. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. There's going to be some type of, um, awkwardness that comes with this kind of thing happening on your, uh, on your campus. Um, and um, a friend of mine, Ava Wallace, who covered UVA in tech last year for the Washington Post. I forget what beat she's on specifically now, but she's no longer uh, covering the two in-state schools. She reached out to me the other day and said, hey, you know, our, one of our guys wants to uh, kind of do a story about the uh, the recruiting aspect of this. Like how what, what kind of impact is this going to have on recruiting and and what's it what's it mean for the school? And I, I don't want to say that when she said that that it was the first time that I had thought about it. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that Pollyannish. I'm not that rosy. Right. But, um, it was definitely the first time I'd thought deeply about it. And when I, when I, when I gave, uh, Jacob the quotes, I, I really, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, this is nothing more than what any school has to deal with when it comes to negative recruiting. There's some aspect to that school that other recruiters will jump on. I think because this was um, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them, um, specifically, and that's predominantly, obviously, the um, the two revenue sports that, that I cover recruiting for, football and basketball, are predominantly African-American um, young men like those are the, predominantly the the players that the, these coaches are recruiting and so I can understand that this is going to have to be a discussion now that Virginia's coaches um, have with families with recruits um, with each other quite frankly and I think that the school did the right thing by being proactive I think the school did the right thing one by letting the players decide Micah Kaiser told us yesterday that it was his idea to, to do the picture on the steps of the rotunda um, I think it was it was in their best interest to sort of let the players sort of have their say because in my experience the current players are always your best recruiters they they're the way they live what they do on the field how they experience life at your at your school that is in and of itself always the biggest you know whether it's the good or the bad that's that you know that their experiences are the experiences of of uh, of other recruits that's what they look to and so whether they come on visits and and they see the place they're going to talk to the kids and they're going to say, what was this like? Um, what was this like? What was this like? I think that it's, it's not, it's not going to be perfect. There are going to be players who, who either use this as a reason that they're not considering UVA 
or they're going to have a real genuine concern and and that ends up being part of the reason or the reason that they stop looking at UVA. Um, and that is just super unfortunate um, because as everyone who is who has paid any real attention to the story understands that this has very little to do with Charlottesville and and the and the school itself. Um, really, it has more to do with some of the particulars involved that did go to UVA and the fact that the that the that the the locality wanted to get rid of uh, the the Robert E. Lee statue. Um, it, it will now become an even bigger thing. I think we all understand that, right? I think we all appreciate that. And so it will now become a thing that coaches are going to have to talk to players and recruits about, and players are going to have to be um, mindful of as events happen around them. I think, you know, the staff did a good job on Saturday of keeping the kids together. You, the last thing you want is, you know, what, 85 dudes strolling down to the to the to, you know i think about that scene and and remember the titans when there are all these people uh in alexandria and 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 one of the coaches drives the truck up and like tells everybody to get in the truck because you know keep them away um i don't think it was quite like that but it certainly um wouldn't surprise me if they you know they basically said hey look this is not a this is not a good place uh to be there's a lot of craziness and that was before obviously the um, tragic death of, of Heather Heyer uh, and then ultimately the the two uh, state police. Ferber, we haven't heard anything from you late yet. I I, uh, I apologize for it's now been 13 minutes and some change um, of us sort of talking and, and whatnot. Um, I don't know. Give me some of your own personal reflections on this, Justin. What's uh, how has this sort of sat with you and 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 what do you what have you thought of the of the sort of aftermath of it the last few days? as much about it from the angle of you know like how it's going to impact the sports teams as much obviously because that stuff's all seems so small compared to issues like this but um kind of echoing some of the things that dave said just i mean i think it's obvious the reasons that this happened in charlottesville and, and why it was so combative and that's because charlottesville for the most part in my experience is a pretty tolerant place um Again, that's just from my experience compared to some of the areas around it. Like, um, I grew up in Louisa County, which is obviously very close to Charlottesville. And Louisa County has some different issues than, than what you might see in Charlottesville. And I think if the rally had been in Louisa, it might have been a little different. Um, but what I, what I mean by that is I think that it's unfortunate that Charlottesville is going to be remembered in this way. Um, like you said, I mean, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the university per se. Um, or that isn't really why it happened. But I think that the less nuanced take on the on these things like over time will be that, I mean, people will talk about this for years to come. And, um, and just like any other kind of tragic event that might happen, um, whether it be you know, this sort of stuff or, or school shootings or whatever, there's always a, a connotation around those places going forward, whether that's fair or not. Um, and that's sad, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it's a terrible and tragic reminder of the fact that this stuff still exists in the world. And, um, I mean, from my own perspective, I'm, you know, I'm a Jewish person. I don't really talk about that on the podcast a lot, but, um, it's kind of it brings back some of the things that you've heard 
growing up about some of these things that are in the world and and they're quieter now but but now with the internet and 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 this display of them manifesting these ideas in public is a good reminder that you have to be vigilant when it comes to this kind of stuff and you can't just uh, you know, pretend like it doesn't happen. Right. I think that's a, that's a good point. I want to transition not necessarily totally away from this, but into, um, um, sort of the, the way it does impact this football team. We've been, we've been talking for weeks, right? We, we, we did a whole camp countdown to camp series, camp starter. We've had, we had some open practices, um, at least for media members. We, we've had, um, availability with the team. We've been able to talk to players and coaches, um, the start of the season is two and a half weeks away. Um, since since we last had a, a podcast, I've had a couple of chances to talk to players and coaches. And so there are some storylines that we can talk about. But one thing that's going to be clear about this, and especially uh, in the opener uh, against William Mary, is going to be how this thing that happened, how it is either used or not used by the players and the team as either something to rally around. How do they respond to it? Is it something that stays in their minds? Um, especially we, we don't know what kind of, um, events will transpire during the season. We don't know what type of, um, you know, marches or rallies or protests or anything like that. We don't know what the situation will be. All we know at this point is that to the, to this point, the team has responded with uh, a kind of a rallying cry to the city, um, and to the area to sort of, I don't, you know, I think Mike called it, you know, take, you know, taking it back. The space is ours. Um, I personally think that this will be a a little bit of a subplot, but I imagine it'll be something that the that the national media sort of talks more about because, and I say this with all due respect, Virginia football to the national media right now is just not that interesting. It's not there aren't you know I mean granted there are a couple of you know really talented all ACC guys that people up and down the the, the conference know. There certainly are really talented kids. Otherwise, you know like an Andrew Brown here or there, but. By and large, this is a two and ten team last season. Um, second year of a new head coach. The, a lot of these games earlier in the season are not super duper compelling to people who are outside of uh, of our bubble. Um, and so I can see the national media really talking about this. Um, so in that you know that Boise State game, like you're going to hear about it a lot. You know, like you're going to hear about this stuff pretty constantly. And it's not. I don't think it'll be as bad as you know. Hey, did you know Mike Lennon is a cop? kind of stuff but that's what the national like those folks are always looking for for those sort of little storylines that's that that you don't have to be a guy who posts on on Cavs corner to know about like they don't really care that um you know Eli Handback was a two-way lineman coming out of Patrick Henry you know they want to talk about something that that has a little bit more um big tent sort of um flavor to it and so this thing is going to be talked about a lot and so I, in a way, I can totally see some of the players, um, you know, being mindful of it, especially early in the season. I certainly think that you'll hear about it a lot as the season goes on, especially in games where you get broadcasters who haven't called a UVA game yet, so they've got to talk about it, or networks that haven't done a UVA game yet and they got to talk about it. Um, I, I I know that eventually fans are just going to be tired of talking about it, and you know, like I said, I, we, we're not going to do a whole podcast on it. But I'm curious to see what sort of response the players have to this, whether it'll be a rallying cry of sorts for them or whether it'll be something that they want to get away from um, and focus completely on football. I, I guess, Dave, let's let's kick it back to you. What what do you feel like 
What kind of role do you think this will have for the team this season? You're right. I mean, it's going to be a question asked every week in media, you know, when you do the conference call, whatever player is doing it, whatever local media for the team they're playing is going to ask this question every week. Um, I don't anticipate it going away before the final game of the season. Um, you know, there's some history with that. I mean, I'm sure Carolina players got asked every week last year about NCAA stuff. Um, no, that's not on the same level. You know, Virginia Tech players got asked every week about the, the horrible massacre there. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, when, when you only see a team once a year as an opponent, of course, that's something you're going to be thinking of. Um, so it's going to come up. So, I mean, all that's outside noise. It, I think it's more, you know, obviously it's more important with how the team handles it. Um, and I want to say this delicately <laughs> without offending anyone, but um, I was very impressed with the way the entire coaching staff handled the situation this weekend. Um, you know, the delicate part is, you know, Bronco and those guys at BYU, they didn't deal with a whole lot of this stuff. You know, it, it was a different environment there. Um, and, you know, we may have alluded to it in the podcast, but certainly, the, you know, there's a different culture um, at BYU than elsewhere. Um, and the way Broncos, the way Bronco talked yesterday to the media, I thought it was on point and very understanding for a situation that he was probably very foreign to him coming from BYU. Um, I don't mean that offensively. I, I just think it's, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. Um, but they handled it brilliantly. Um, and for those of you on social media, you saw over the weekend, I mean, the guys were out on Sunday, I believe it was doing a bunch of stuff with their positional coaches, um, which, you know, I think was, a. Uh, you know, a very good move. Um, you know, a, a, an event that had a, you know, you've got a team, team coming off a two and 10 season with a, a staff that didn't recruit what 75% of them. Um, and a highly volatile weekend emotionally and, and everything else. Um, I mean, you guys saw it on Twitter. Anytime you've got friends and family tweeting at you, are you safe? It's not a good look. Uh, I think, I think that was your line, Brett. Um, but I thought the coaching staff did a very right. good job. Yeah. Uh, not only handling what they said to us, but obviously handling the players. And I think that's going to go a long way in building trust between the players and the coaches. And say all you want, I mean, obviously football is about talent. I don't hate to equate what happened this weekend to winning football games, but the good, the best teams are the closest teams. So what happened this weekend doesn't have to be a, you know, a detriment to the season. And it doesn't have to be all, oh, they were going to be horrible, now they're great. But, it, you know, it's another another chance for this team to come closer and, you know, and move forward as the season goes on. I think that's actually a really good sort of way to frame it because every team needs something to rally around. Every team needs some kind of thing to, to, to act as a catalyst, right? Um, you know, the season is tough. I mean, not, not everything that's, that glitters is gold, right? I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do. Um, you need, especially if you're going to face adversity like these guys did last year, you know, going two and ten, you know, struggling the way they did a lot during during last season, wanting to be better. A lot's been asked of them in the off season from a physical standpoint. Um, you know, this asks a lot of them of them mentally. You know, being able to put this stuff out of their minds uh, and really focus on football. Speaking of it, it seems like to me that there are several storylines to track, and and I kind of want to get into that basically in the second sort of half of uh, of this week's episode. I I want to talk a little bit about. 
um, some of the things maybe that we're we're still unsure of. Um, I, I think the easiest way to do it is let's 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 take sides of the ball. Um, offensively, we, we know Kurt Benkert's going to be the quarterback. It sounds like Lindell Stone's now getting some actual reps to be the backup. Um, still sounds like Devontae Cross is getting some reps at quarterback for whatever they call that package for him. Wide receiver-wise, Virginia did lose Cole Blackman uh, for the season with a broken tibia and fibula suffered on Saturday during uh, the team scrimmage. My understanding is that it was kind of a a freak landing sort of thing. It wasn't like a contact injury deal. Um but it was a, a pretty pretty rough and sort of horrific moment um, for for the guys who were right around him. Um, so our thoughts to to Cole for a, for a speedy recovery this season as he as he gets better and, and red shirts. Um, but offensively, the big question seems to be at, um, at on the offensive line. It it's funny because like you you talk to um, to like Jake Feeler, who everybody assumed coming out of spring ball, rightly so, I think was. Hey, he's going to be the center. He's got the spot locked down. And then you talk to Touje, and he's, you know, he's talking about like that 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 Tyler Fannin is is competing with him there. That essentially all of the spots on the offensive line are um, are kind of up grabs. I think that I don't want to say that that's just hyperbole, but I definitely get the sense from talking to the players because they'll tell you like who's where. Like they'll tell you what you know who's doing what. It sounds like to me that Jack McDonald is obviously still not back yet. That's given R.J. Proctor a chance to, to get some reps. John Montalus has, has, has had a lower leg injury on his left foot in a walking boot, at least as of last week. Did not see him um, yesterday when I was there. Um, so Proctor has been getting a lot of reps, um, I believe. Uh, um, um, ben Newton has been getting some reps, um, both inside and out. Sounds like Brandon Pertile has the right tackle spot locked down. Jack English said he hasn't played anywhere else other than left tackle when I talked to him yesterday. Um, so it seems like there has been some motion. There are some other pieces kind of moving about. Um, but it sounds like, at least from a personnel standpoint, that the group is small. I would not be surprised to see a true freshman play. And I know that people um, always lose their minds like this time of year because you start talking about, like, everybody goes into, like, their game, the first game of the season with, like, this, like, imaginary sort of checklist in their head of, like, guys that they, that they, they think should play and this, like, list of guys that they don't think should play. Um, and it doesn't matter how, um, you know, projects you are. It doesn't matter how, like, great you are. Like, you can be one of the dudes that people expect to redshirt, Dave, um, with your – um, Mike Moore uh, prediction from many many years ago but it, it seems like to me that there are going to be um, some guys who play in this true freshman who play in this class uh, that most folks wouldn't expect and I, and I bet you one of them happens at least on the offensive line um, I'm kind of curious to, to you guys and let uh, we haven't heard from Ferber since like 1975 um, where where are you guys looking right now in terms of question marks you know we, we do our preseason podcast next week what what kind of um, concerns do you still have uh, about what you maybe don't know? Uh, Ferber will go to you. What what do you feel like is a uh, is sort of still out there? Where where are the hanging chads right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they've they've changed a whole lot over the the span of camp. I mean, I still have the same concerns I had when camp started a few weeks ago. I mean, the, the offensive line. I think we have a better idea of who's going to play, but we don't know how good they're going to be um, or how consistent they can be. So I think, I mean, obviously that's something that needs to be ironed out over time, and we won't really know until we start watching games. Um, the kicking game, obviously Bronco made a point of saying yesterday that um, 
He might have three different specialists, one for kickoff, one for field goals, one for punting. That's not too troubling to me because um, a lot of teams do that. Yeah, that seems fairly. Get, yeah, that seems fairly regular. Yeah, it's it's pretty common nowadays, um, especially with college because you can carry so many kickers. Like in the NFL, you can only really have one um, with a punter. And then, uh, other than that, I mean, you know, there's been a little bit of shifting at linebacker with the freshman with Zandier going inside. So it sounds like he might have an impact right away. And other than that, it's going to be about on the defense, just like where does everybody end up slotting in. I mean, we had some conversations, obviously, outside the podcast last week about, you know, what they're going to do with the safeties, who's going to play where, um, and how often they even use a safety, a strong safety in a traditional role, or is it going to be more of like a nickel corner? Um, So, I mean, that kind of stuff needs to be ironed out. But my, uh, my concerns haven't really changed too much from the beginning of camp. I mean, I haven't seen anything to... Um, to make me think that those issues are totally settled at this point. And I haven't really had any new issues that have popped up either. Well, for me, I think the, as I forgot to hit the mute button, I think that for me, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, I, I don't disagree with, with where you're coming from on the, um, that on the, um, the idea that, that there are still going to be, that like we don't know how good the offensive line. Is. That that's that's that that's tr- so very very true. I'm I'm th- I'm looking at it from more of like a standpoint of the, there are guys who the staff um, the staff is is expecting to to make contributions right. And if they're looking to these guys, what does that say? One about personnel and two about scheme. So for example, offensive line wise, where you put guys doesn't seem to matter a whole lot. Um, because you're, it doesn't seem like it's going to have a big of an impact on the schematic aspect of the team. If you're going to play uh, Atkins, Peacock, and Keir, right, and you're going to play all of them, um, what that might say about your other running backs, well, you don't have a lot of running back depth, but it also might say that you're actually trying to be a running team, like that you think that one of the things that is really important is that you have fresh bodies, that guys are getting touches, and they bring different skill sets. Um I feel like I was, uh, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, I wasn't surprised to see PK getting some burn. I was a little bit surprised that, that after Bronco said that Atkins had a good practice, that UVA sent a correction to say that PK had a good practice. That 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 always um, is a is a thing. Uh, it, it always catches me off guard whenever uh, they feel like they need to correct us. But um, if that's the case, right? If 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 offensively they play that many backs. Um, I do think that that means they're really going for a good balance, um, if not a maybe a run-oriented sort of thing. And if that's the case, it would be a little bit of a departure maybe from what they did at BYU because they didn't – I don't believe they played a lot of running backs their last couple years at BYU, maybe because they felt like they had uh, the Williams kid and, the, and he could carry the load. Um, but I'm just – I just think that if you look at some of the personnel um, uh, trends, let's say, on the offensive line and, and at running back, it would seem to imply that – they want to run the ball, and that balance is important. I mean, like, I remember the SB Nation guy whose name is certainly escaped, suddenly escaping me, uh, Conley, I think is his name, he may have mentioned that, yeah, like, last year when Virginia's offense was good is when, yeah, it's like they were really balanced, right, is when they weren't asking Kurt to do everything. Um, so it feels like to me um, it, that, that soon um, they're going to want to be 
as 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 balanced as they can be, um, and probably out of the same sets. I I do think that with the they're going to keep a huddle, but they're not going to to kind of um, drag their feet right. So it's a huddle in the sense that they want to get everybody on the same page, but they're not going to be doing it to slow things down. Um, I I feel like that it sort of implies to me that they want the function the the, the flexibility to be able to say, hey, we're gonna we're going to get personnel package, you know, changes in, but also too, they want to be able to, to keep a group on the field. I wouldn't be surprised to see them go with some two back sets to try to, to try to play off of, of that running back depth that they feel like they might have um, and, and really sort of um, use that versatility as much as possible. Uh, Dave, any thoughts on the offensive side of the ball before we move on? Two quick ones. <clears throat> um, I mean, I've I've read that I've, you just mentioned the balancing and you read it everywhere. Then you go back and look at last year with 421 yards passing and 148 yards rushing and 336 yards passing and 80 yards rushing in the two games we actually won. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know that it matters where you get your yardage from. You just got to get your yardage every game. So if, if one game your running game can be good, if passing <laughs> passing game isn't, um, I, I just think you need to produce yards. Uh, the, the illusion of balance is wonderful. Um, well, I, I feel like though the, you know, the thing having that, options, being multiple is important. I feel I feel like the thing that I feel like the thing that that's that's important is that is that it's not necessarily that the balance is one to one. It's that um, that you're not asking your offense to go out and be something. Uh, for example, you're not going. You're not asking Kirk to go out there and throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, because that will invite mistakes. Whether that's a ball is a little bit behind a guy, a ball gets tipped and pops up in the air, turnover, you know, here or there. Like you do risk more um, when you're going for that. And one thing that's been sort of consistent for them has been the fact that they are good downfield, but also downfield is where the mistakes happen. Um, much harder, you know. I I would imagine that throwing an interception is is um you know is a lot easier to do than than fumbling but i i hear what you're saying and it certainly it makes it makes sense i'm just thinking from and when i think balance i don't necessarily think one-to-one i just think like uh as as likely to throw as to run the ball now success is important i mean look whatever you're doing if it ain't broke don't fix it but at the end of the day you want to get into a situation where you're asking your guys to do something that they can do consistently that they can do repeatedly and i feel like if they're able to get a running game going, I think that's a, a big piece of the pie. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I'm being a little sarcastic there, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you just got to get the job done. If you do it through running the ball or passing the ball or a little bit of both, it's fine. Um, you know, teams have have won games without having a run game, and they've won games without having a pass game. It's just one of those two sides of the ball every week's got to be clicking. You obviously have more success if you've got an option on both sides and that shows up repeatedly week in and week out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the offensive line, as we've discussed multiple times, I feel like it's time for the season to start because we keep rehashing these same discussions. But, you know, it's the offensive line and, and Kurt. That's, I mean, I think we've got enough pieces at running back and we've got enough pieces at wide receiver um, that the offense has the potential to be really good if Kurt has time in the pocket. I feel like on the defensive side of the ball, the one question I had going into the start of camp 
was all, was the nose tackle, right? I mean, we we sort of had a question at middle at the inside linebacker. We always wanted to talk about that, but it seems like Jordan Mack is is still there. They haven't moved him anywhere. Um, he's going to be the guy next to Micah. So really, that just means like, okay, so who's going to be the nose tackle? And I think for a lot of people, myself included, uh, Joanne Moy was going to be the guy. I'm still not convinced he won't be the guy. I'm still like, there was a lot of coy answering going on. Um, not this past, not this last media session or availability, but the one before it where Bronco was kind of talking about the, um, he was talking about things, but he didn't want to give any specifics. He didn't want to talk base. Uh, he didn't want to talk numbers. He didn't want to talk alignments. I think they're going to use that. It would it would seem to me that that would make a lot of sense that they want to use that to their advantage, and they don't want to to really you know put any of that out there. Um, Eli Hamback getting a lot of snaps though in in what would be traditionally the nose tackle spot. I, I think that when they're in the base, he seems like the the most likely guy to be in the middle, um, or when they're in the three man front. I guess I should say not necessarily base, but they're also running I think a lot of two man stuff up front with with Juwan and and Andrew Brown and sort of using Chris Peace and, and Malcolm Cook as kind of um, quasi like hybrid defensive and outside linebackers where sometimes they're up, sometimes they're back, sometimes they're down in the dirt and then they, they drop back and there's a lot of versatility there. But the thing that stood out to me the most um, has been the conversation I had with Kelly Papinga about the linebackers and he was almost like laser focused on what they want um not just like on the inside but uh, but on the outside and basically all the spots they're like they're essentially recruiting and they want to have linebackers who can play all four spots so that it doesn't matter where you line up the mic uh he is the mic and it doesn't matter where you line up the sam he's the sam and it was kind of uh refreshing to see that they, they think that's a competitive advantage for them and they want to take advantage of it like this is not something that they're they're willing to. Um, this is something that they're willing to to really recruit hard to. Um, they want guys who are six foot three. They want guys who can play, that are versatile enough that can play inside and outside. They want to put size on them to make sure that they can handle the run, but they don't want them to lose speed so they can't draw back in coverage. And with the exception of maybe Elliott Brown and Charles Snowden, because they are kind of freak athletes who have a lot of length, like they're able to do a lot just with the the group that they have. And and I know a lot of people talked about the, the gam and, and Zandier swap, but like if those kids are able to fit, they're realistically able to fit in, a, in, in various roles um, because that's what this staff wants. They want guys who can play multiple positions. They want guys who can line up here and then drop back and go over there. Um, and I think that to me is a significant sort of um, stand a significant sort of thing because what you're what you're thinking about then what you're extrapolating out is it like okay the, the this team thinks that it can have a lot of success defensively if it mixes some things up at linebacker and if that's what they do that's the strength of the three fours that you can put a lot of really talented kids in, in position to make plays certainly going to free up Andrew Brown a lot if they're you know doing a lot of stunts and doing a lot of moving and 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 kind of confusing the offensive line but I was really impressed when Kirk Ben Kirk said we won't get a better look uh, all season long. Like there might be some teams that'll be better defensively, but we won't get tested and pushed any harder than what they're throwing at us right now. Because he's, he said that they're, they're, they're not leaving anything um, out there. There, there, there's, there's no place for him to, to sort of um, become complacent. Like they're, they're pushing the agenda. They're throwing everything they got at him. Um, and he's, and he thinks it really is going to prepare the offense. Um, quick thoughts on the on the defense, guys. Ferber, let's go to you. What what's your 
sense of, you know, what are the vibes are you getting on the defense as we've kind of talked to coaches and players? Yeah, sorry, I kind of jumped the gun last time and started talking about the defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to what Kurt said, um, I you know, I wrote that article and it did catch me. He said that, um, you know, the blitz packages were unlike anything that, you know, he's seen. And he said that it's way more complex, like complex or complicated than what they were doing last year. And I mean, he attributed that to just familiarity with the schemes and everybody's more comfortable now. So I think the coaches are in turn more comfortable giving them more to do. Um, it seems like in that Richmond game, based on Broncos feedback afterwards, he felt like he gave them too much to do. So maybe now he feels a little bit more comfortable with giving them more to do. Um, I know Brandon Pertile said that, you know, the blitzes that UVA runs, um, the exotic stuff off the edge, uh, just just the different kinds of like who's coming from where and who's dropping back. It's just harder to tell before the snap. Um, I thought that was interesting. He said he'd never seen anything like that before, even when he was at Oklahoma State. Um, but what Kurt said, basically, you know, what he was really talking about was this is pre-snap visuals. Like, he doesn't know who's coming from where. Um, and he said, I mean, he, he made the point himself. He even call, I mean, he wasn't calling out teams, but he mentioned North Carolina and Connecticut as teams that last year, you know, like before the snap, you kind of know who's coming um, and who's going to drop. And it's the offense's job to stop them. And whether they were able to do that or not, you know, I guess you can go back and watch the film. But, uh, I mean, what he's saying is that UVA's defense is, if nothing else, it's going to bring an element of surprise. Um, and I think that that can help, especially against teams that might have a little bit more talent. Um, and, I mean, it really helps against teams that pass a lot. But I think last year they just weren't comfortable enough with the scheme and didn't have enough guys that were the right sizes and, you know, comfortability levels for each position to kind of run all that stuff. But now it seems like it's kind of trending in that direction, which I think is a positive thing. And that's kind of my defensive uh, take for, for this week anyway. <laughs> all right, Dave, take us, take us home. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on the, on that side of the ball? Yeah. I mean, alluding to that, I mean, the three, four is a defense successful when it's able to be, you know, disguised. I mean, the reason you're giving up a defensive lineman is to add a linebacker that can either rush the passer or drop in coverage or, you know, or fake one and then do the other. It's otherwise you're just running a, a four three and giving up a couple of yards or, you know, 20 pounds to, to the offensive line. So, it, you know, a vanilla three, four rarely works. Um, so be obviously having a better concept of the defense and being able to to do more out of, you know, out of just play calling, you know, blitzing a middle linebacker, you know, we've kind of talked about it before, you know, you have a guy like Jordan Mack who can, who can cover just, you know, he can't cover the speedest receivers, but he can cover a tight end, he can cover a bigger receiver, he can rush the passer, you got him in the middle, uh, you know, he may be coming on a blitz stunting with Kaiser, he may be dropping back in coverage and allowing Quinn to come up, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do. So if the team is advanced to the point where Bronco feels confident installing that play or installing that special blitz for a tendency he sees with the offense, and all of a sudden a defense with this very much similar roster from last year is completely different. Um, and then, you know, if you just break it down, obviously we're replacing Dante, and we, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, the need to replace the nose tackle because the nose tackle is a huge position in a, in a three-four defense, but 
what will be interesting to see this year is is improvement at the other 10 positions, which I think we could argue we should be as good, if not better, at every other position on the field. Um, you know, at least nine, maybe 10, depending on who ends up playing the nose. But is being better at that many positions, not better just physically, but understanding the defense, will that overcome having Dante? Because even with Dante last year, we gave up over 200 yards rushing five different times. I mean, Dante had a great season, but it's not like the defense as a whole did great behind him with him there. So it's, you know, will the gains we made offset the, the loss of Dante? And that, I think if you ask, if you had to put a gun to my head, I'd, I'd take a lot more confidence in the, in the defense making a big stride this year than I would the offense, just because the defense was pretty terrible last year. So it's a safer bet. What, what, what I find kind of interesting about what you just said was you said Dante had a great I, – I, I think he had a solid season, but I think even though you have a solid guy in the middle, if you don't set the edge, it, it, it kind of doesn't matter. And I think that was part of the problem. It's one of the reasons why Chris Peace is like 250 pounds now. Um, they need to do a much better job of, of setting that edge. It doesn't really a – lot of, a lot of what they did doesn't matter if they are getting gashed that way. But I, I do think that – as, as we get closer to the season, and certainly as the season sort of unfolds, one thing we're going to be watching is, are these guys who we expect to be playmakers making plays? I mean, we all expect Andrew Brown to have a, a bigger season than he had last year. We expect, you know, Micah Kaiser to be himself. We expect Cook and, and Peace to be able to make some some hay off the edge. Um, you know, we haven't really talked about the defensive backs, but, you know, they are a, a long, you know, athletic group back there. And so, in a way, I think one thing we'll be keeping track of is, you know, how much, um, you know, how much guys are, are able to be the people that we expect them to be. And I think as we get closer to the season, one thing you, you're, you're, you're trying to work off the assumption that, the, that, the, that all things being equal, the, the, the situation will hold. And so, you might have a question about who's going to be the nose tackle, but you don't have a question about who's going to be your cornerback. And if there's anything this team saw last year is that like you have to sometimes move some pieces when you didn't expect to. And I think one thing about this group is that they are experienced that they do have a lot of guys who come back, but I'm a, I'm a little curious about the second group, right? What, who their backups are at various spots. Uh, I think that's, that's equally important as well, but I think that's a, a good place to, to sort of put a pin in it. Um, uh, I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like that, um, you know, we, we obviously had to talk a little bit about what happened um, this past weekend. Um, it's, um, you know, it's it's obviously going to be something that folks keep track of um, going through the season. But fo- real football will be here soon. The next time we record, we'll be doing our uh, preseason prediction podcast, hopefully not making fools of ourselves as we have uh, been wanting to do in the past. But I uh, want to pr- say a th- big thank you to everybody out there for continuing to support the, the show. Uh, obviously, big thanks to Dave and, and Justin for for giving up their time and being here um, um, every week. I really appreciate them doing that. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.